Hey, welcome to week two of our Who Am I Discipleship module. This week we are looking at how the fall created something of an identity crisis within humanity. As we cast off our God-given identity, the rest of human history has really been a quest to find a new identity outside of God. And in this video, we are looking at how the modern quest for identity is thoroughly me-centered. Now, this is so much part of the cultural air that we breathe that a statement like that doesn't sound particularly radical or profound at all. We, we all kind of believe that. We know we are me-centered. But we need to know that for much of human history, so much of your identity was not rooted in something internal, but actually external things. Many people with European heritage still bear remnants of that. Take a look at your last name. If it's something like carpenter or potter or shepherd, you can have some idea of what your ancestors did. People back then didn't pick their occupations. Their occupations were picked based on what family you happened to be born into. So one of the most common questions we ask today of little kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? If you were to be time travel back to say the 1400s and ask a little kid in Europe, what do you want to be when you grow up, Johnny? Well, he would look at you and kind of a dumb, you know, like what kind of ridiculous question is that? I'm going to be a carpenter because that's what my dad did, what his dad did. We are carpenters after all. But today, that's one of the most popular questions that we love to ask little kids. What do you want to be when you grow up? And it really shows that underlying shift in our identity, that our identity has become something that is moldable, that we can decide what we want to be. It is not decided from external sources. Well, one of the modern shifts that led us to this me-centered culture came in the 1700s with philosophers like Jean-Jacques Rousseau, uh, who was a French philosopher. And Rousseau really posited the idea that humans were basically good, that if you could get to the bottom of our hearts, our desires were essentially good, and that our true self lie within. And the reason we had problems, though, is because societies had a corrupting influence on that inner good self. Now, we can contrast this with a biblical view that says that actually, yes, societies have sin within them, but because we were all uh, born in Adam, we are descendants of Adam who sinned, we are born with some of the effects of Adam's sin. Sin exists within us from the moment we're born. Rousseau, though, thought that it was actually human society that was detrimental to human contentedness, which resulted in a slew of other problems. Right? He thought it was detrimental to happiness. Right? You can think about it in that when people get together, there suddenly is this desire to be recognized or to stand out or to be the best or to be the conqueror, to be the most powerful. And he said these desires that were created by societies had a corrupting influence on the natural state of men, which was free from those desires. So Rousseau writes, I will show that justice and goodness are not merely abstract words, but are true affections of the soul enlightened by reason, and hence only an ordered development of our primitive actions. He's saying that what we call justice and goodness are not kind of modern inventions, but are actually vestiges of what lies at the core of our soul, that our souls are good and our souls are just. And what we need to do is teach people to get back in touch with their true selves, which are found within. Carl Truman contrasts this understanding 
with a traditional Christian one. He writes, for Augustine, representing the Christian side, it is precisely the fact that human beings are born depraved and subject to, subject to internal moral conflict and confusion that renders sentiment and instinct unreliable, even positively deceptive guides to moral action. For Rousseau, however, individuals are intrinsically good with sentiments that are properly ordered and attuned to ethical ends until they are corrupted by the forces of society. And while many of us have never even touched anything Rousseau wrote, his thinking had a profound effect on artists and philosophers and psychologists after him. He laid the groundwork for the me-centered self because he mo moved the locus of truth and identity as something that is external and made it internal. That society w was actually um, created pressures and, and chains that kept people from being their true selves, something they could only discover from within. So for Rousseau, we could say, you are only free if you are free to be yourself. Now, we shouldn't dismiss Rousseau's ideas completely because what he is reacting to is something that is actually a real problem in our world. Societies and cultures can embody sin and thus corrupt the people within them. That sin, particular sins, can be so much part of the cultural air that people breathe, they are no longer bothered by those sins. A great example is from World War II where you had many Germans who participated in the killing of tens and hundreds of thousands of Jews and their sympathizers. And as the, after the war, as the war tribunals and trials started, one of the shocking things to many people was as they got to know these men, they discovered that very few of them were actually psychopaths, but many were good family men who went home and kissed their wives and their kids after a long day's work in the prison camp. It, the, the, the problem was they were so part of a culture that had embraced that sin that it became normal to them, and they no longer realized how evil it actually was. The Bible accounts for this really well. We can look at Ezekiel 16:49. It reads that Sodom's sins were pride, gluttony, and laziness while the poor and needy suffered outside her door. God is describing not just the individual sins, but actually saying the sins of this society, Sodom, were, they were societal sins. They so affected that culture that these things became normal and then had all kinds of other horrible effects in that town. They became numb to their own sins. Societies can have a corrupting influence, but we have to depart from Rousseau in saying that the key to getting rid of that corruption is just removing ourselves from society or, or somehow reconnecting ourselves with, with our true selves within. Because scripture says that there also happens to be sin within us, that sin affects us individually from birth. We have a propensity, an innate propensity to sin. No one has to teach us how to do it. Psalm 51.5 says, For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. And actually, we see this throughout society. I just read this essay uh, by Mary Harrington, and she described her kind of transformation from growing up in a uh, conservative household to embracing the liberation of feminism and just jumping all in. And yet she realized that it was not all that it was advertised to be. 
Remember in the last video, we said how society, just like the serpent, labels things to, to tell us that this is what you need only after we partake of it to realize it was false advertising. She writes, she writes, I discovered that the supposedly egalitarian and sexually liberated all lesbian community I lived in was in fact hierarchical and riddled with competition. Whether the issue was who was cleaning the kitchen or who was sleeping with whom, excluding males from the household did not vanquish rivalry and exploitation. My attempts to escape hierarchy had only ensnared me in new hierarchies. These kind of all-encompassing effects of sin are, are put so clearly in Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live in that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Here we see the Bible's holistic picture of sin. Sin is because there is such a thing as the devil. There is evil incarnate. Uh, there, is, there are people that influence us to sin, but we also sin because we have a sinful nature. And so in order to recapture our true identity, we need a solution that is just as holistic as our problem of sin. Well, going back to how we became a me-centered culture, people started to believe more and more that the true self is found within me. But this type of thinking inevitably leads to a conflict with God. Samuel Putnam was a pastor in the late 1800s, and yet as he grew and developed, he decided to become an atheist. And he writes about this change in his 1890 spiritual autobiography. The last superstition of the human mind is the superstition that religion in itself is a good thing. I believe, however, that the religious feeling as feeling is wrong and the civilized man will have nothing to do with it. Why does he come so hard against this longing to believe in God? Well, it's tied back to that idea that our inner self is our truest self. And thus God becomes this outside threat that is holding us back from becoming who we were meant to be. The Samuel Putnam goes on to write, to vindicate liberty, I must dethrone God. And this type of thinking started to affect how people understood freedom. That freedom now became the ability to be whatever I want to be. It's the freedom to be my true and authentic self. And this puts us on a collision course with God, because as Ron Highfield writes, obeying God appears to be surrendering freedom, and disobeying God looks like a way of asserting it. Submission to God looks like an affront to our dignity, and defiance feels like an assertion of our dignity. But when we view freedom in this modern way of being able to be free to whatever our desires are, we are, again in the words of Ron Highfield, we doom ourselves to perpetual restlessness and insatiable ambition. However high we climb, infinite heights will tower above us. Our true worth will always be in doubt. And in our wounded pride, 
we will proclaim our lofty status even more assertively to avoid despair. Humanity so defined cannot love God. It can only envy and resent God. That's a good place to stop for this video. And in the next one, we're going to dive deeper into this idea, specifically how the me-centered identity continually leads us to this need to reinvent ourselves. We'll see you there.